Fixate on Code, episode 22. All right, Larry Boiter here, and you are listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. Now, let's chat with today's featured guest, Rachel Neighbors. Rachel, thanks for joining me today. Hi. Rachel is an award-winning cartoonist and graphic novelist who now cuts her teeth as an expert on web animations. With her webanimationweekly.com newsletter and slack.animationnetwork channel, courses on lynda.com and Frontend Masters, and her latest book, Animation at Work, Rachel is an authority on improving user experience through using motion on the web. Rachel, can you fill in some of the gaps in that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you're not writing code? Hi, thank you so much for having me, Larry. Uh, yeah, so um, I've been in the web animation space for going on five years. I was a, well, I was an award-winning cartoonist turned front-end developer before that. And when I saw that you could make animations for the web without using Flash, I got super pumped about it. And I started dissecting the different specs, teaching people, documented the web animations API on MDN with Mozilla. That was a great project. And I've been doing that ever since. And recently wrote this awesome little book, which is like you can read it in a single flight with a book apart. How did you get introduced into web development from illustration and writing graphic novels? Oh, thank you. That's actually an excellent question. I wonder if we have any illustrators in the audience today. So back in the day when I first started making web comics, I, I was a cartoonist. My mother was a systems analyst, but she always discouraged me from getting into programming. Whenever I would be like, I want to make games, she's like, uh, you should get into art. <laughs> what? Uh, you'll be very frustrated if you're if you're a developer. Well, you know, she she wrote COBOL in a sense and that oh, sort of okay. thing. So really hardcore. Uh, but eventually she had, I think, what we call burnout now <laughs> and moved me to live in the middle of nowhere. We were very far from the internet. And so I'm out in the woods and I'm making comics and I want to share them with people, right? Like I'm homeschooled, real loner kid. And I want to go meet people who are like me and are passionate about the same things as I am. Well, lo and behold, the local library systems get internet access and computers from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and I figure out how to scan said comics and put them up on GeoCities. And before you know it, I've got a little contract going with a, a website that was like the teen vogue of its day. And I've got this weekly comic with readers all over the world. And so I've got 400,000 readers just, you know, reading my comics, leaving comments, etc. And I've got to find ways to engage with them. Um, I had been... <laughs> Well, I found that uh, GeoCities was really limiting, like I couldn't talk with people. So I went out and researched which CMS I should use to contact folks. And I got started with Drupal and, you know, booted up a little PHP server and, and had a little community come together around making comics. And we'd all get together and share our tips and tricks. And I would promote my comics. We didn't have Etsy back then. So if you wanted to sell things, you ended up downloading a, a copy of, uh, what was it? OS Commerce and installing that. And it looks terrible. So you need to learn CSS so that it looks like the rest of your site. And you want you want to send people an email? Well, we don't have MailChimp, but we do have TinCanPHP. So there we go. We're going to start another server. That is how I got my start with the web. I always wanted to get into programming, but I didn't think I was going to end up getting into programming through web technologies. It's kind of an interesting roundabout story, isn't it? Mm, and then your mom couldn't keep you away from programming in the end. No, no, actually, I, I, rode, I rode the comics out of the middle of nowhere, and then I rode web development onto a better, brighter future because <laughs> cartoonists in the United States don't do too well. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, at one point I realized I was way more excited about the things I was building for the web than the stories I was telling with comics. Mm. And I just never looked back. Mm. All right, Rachel, what are you most passionate about as a developer? I'm passionate about a lot of things. So I'm just going to tell you what I'm passionate about today. I have been getting so interested in algorithms uh, and just the way it changes how you think about things. Like I've always written scripts and such in, in JavaScript, but since I started studying algorithms, I started thinking about how I perform different operations and how I can perform them more efficiently. Like understanding big O notation and the whole concept of scaling operations across larger and larger inputs and outputs, uh, it's something I never thought about before. And I'm really, really excited about it today. Um, I, I think it's something that if you're if you're writing for anything at scale, it definitely is great to pick up a book on algorithms on the weekends and give it a look. So Rachel, can you tell me about the worst experience you've ever had on a project? We don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move swiftly along? Um, no, no, I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> uh, give me a different one. All right, no problem. Rachel, in terms of getting quality work done on a daily basis, which method or tool do you use that you just hate to be without? Ah, that's a good question. Um, on a daily basis for doing the sort of creative programming that I do, I would hate it, absolutely hate it if I didn't have access to the scripts functions in Adobe's suites of tools. I end up using them all the time for exporting graphics and building sprite sheets and like exporting a JSON file of coordinates of the things in the sprite mm. sheets. It would be so much harder to work with graphics without that export functionality. I'm really grateful for it. How did you work before being proficient in JavaScript? Did you, I suppose you had no choice but to just do all the manual exporting? I did. And that, like, we're talking about going from two hours worth of using the rulers in, in Photoshop or, you know, oh my gosh, it, it, I would do these painstaking things. Uh, then suddenly cutting that down to like a five minute press uh, this button to export it. What? So it, it, we're talking about huge time savings with not having to do manual measuring. If you're working with lots of SVGs or bitmaps and script and, and sprites, you'll end up doing that a lot. Mm. Now, I love that with HTTP2, we're relying less on sprites, which is great, but there are still times, like especially if you're doing sprite-based animation mm -hmm. where you're moving an image to show different frames of a sprite, where you still have to export to a sprite. Mm. And it's still going to be a very complex and time-consuming export process in like you have that script. Mm. Uh, so HTTP2 wouldn't solve all of my problems and being able to use scripts to help with the exportation process. And, you know, I have like this whole automated process where, you know, the SVGs get dumped in this folder, then they go through SVGO. And it's this weird sort of graphics build process mm. that's kind of stuck together with like bits of tape and some toothpicks, <laughs> but it works. And I get nice, lightweight bitmaps and vector graphics out of it. And that makes me so happy. I do wish there was more formalized process uh, that you could just like one click install and your whole life would be awesome. I know for a lot of people, handling graphics is a major groaner. It's a big pain in the butt. You know, you're manually maneuvering everything around and taking measurements or, you know, I, I still on some projects am using Compass because it's got such great spriting, uh, built in spriting functions.
functions, like you can return the dimensions of the image in the sprite, which what? is so useful, especially if you're, well, especially if you're doing sprite animations that have to be kept um, aspect uh, ratio size across many mm. different devices. Hanging on to those as variables is very useful for spitting out um, different sized background uh, scales. So where in your daily work do you still get frustrated and where do you feel there's room for things to be done in a more effective way? <laughs> uh, that is a great question. I definitely feel like the the compound rendering stack for web development could could use some innovation. It could use some improvement. I have been seeing over the years more and more designers working in strictly prototyping tools like Envision, or you know, um, working in in their own sort of uh, it's sort of like a, a designer's WYSIWYG like a Webflow, which exports really nice and up to date code. And I love that designers have these great tools. But I also feel like designers and developers speak less and less to each other. Um, Five years ago, there was, you know, this ideal of the designer who could also code, the unicorn. And I feel like that ideal has slowly just faded from mm. existence. The unicorns have gone back into the forest and designers work in Sketch mm -hmm. and developers are the ones who are arranging Webpack and, and building with Angular or React. And, you know, designers don't touch that. You need a computer science degree before you go there. Mm. And this means that the tooling that we need for really complex graphic you know, interactions isn't really there. And we're not really, we're not seeing the kind of great collaborations between designers and developers that I wish we'd see. I, I really hoped five years ago to see more collaboration happening. And I'm I'm a little sad that it, <laughs> that it hasn't gone further. I think more tooling to allow designers to come back into that process would be excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, just more on ramps, um, just to just to bring that conversation back around and get the two houses talking to each other would be great. Like I just described my really out of this world graphics pipeline. It would be great to formalize <laughs> things like that. Now, Rachel, in terms of new projects, libraries, or frameworks, what are you most excited about at the moment? Few. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm working on this really cool view demo for uh, ViewConf US, uh, which is coming up in at the end of March. Mm -hmm. It's in New Orleans. If any of your listeners are nearby, hope to see you there. We've got all kinds of great people like Sarah Drasner, um, Chris Evans coming out. Oh, that's, I mean, Chris Fritz. Uh, it's going to be super wonderful. And I'm doing actually a talk on motion design with Vue because mm -hmm. of all the different frameworks that are available right now, I personally feel like Vue is the most accessible, uh, not just to designers, but also to people who work with motion, you know, those developers who who speak motion design and animation. Uh, this is one of the, the easiest frameworks to get set up with doing those animations. It, it integrates so nicely with CSS animations and also with JavaScript animation libraries like Greensock. So I I am, I am absolutely pumped. I'm learning so much. I always swore I wasn't going to learn a JavaScript framework unless I had a desperate need to, or I was utterly inspired because they changed so rapidly. You know, five years ago, it was all Angular. And then one year later, it was all React. And now it's all Vue. You should learn the thing that you're excited about. And right now, I'm really excited about Vue. Now, with all of the new languages and specs and libraries that are coming out, how do you decide on what to learn and how do you make time to learn new things? Oh, that's a great question. So for me, I, like I said, I tend to learn the things that I get excited about. I have been very excited in the past about things such as CSS, SAS, CSS animations, and the web animations API. As, but there is room in this to get excited about things that aren't just 
curious and interesting. For instance, you could invest a lot of time in learning the web audio API, but you might not use that at work. And if you mm-hmm. were looking for a new job and all you knew was like, I'm a web audio API master, you might find that your your options are limited. So it's also, there's a, there's a reason to keep your hand in with what other people are into, even if it's not used at your place of work. For instance, if you're working at an Angular shop and you notice that all the people in the industry around you are moving toward Vue, but you don't want to, you know, you can't be like, I'm a Vue person now. You might take a couple of days uh, once mm-hmm. a month to sit down with Vue and understand it better. And it can help inform the work that you're doing with Angular and the conversations you have around it and, and how you architect it. And, you know, you'll be able to speak from, well, in Vue, I saw this and I was thinking that would be more useful. So mm-hmm. it's important to just keep your hand in on what is important to everyone else and, and investigate that. So you don't wake up one morning and, and wonder where the world went. For me, the way I make time to do this, and I'm very bad, by the way, about making time to do these things, because I, when I have my nose in something, I'm just completely in on it. And you can't drag me away from it with wild horses. You know, it's like, I, I am... I am just doing the web animations API. I, no, no. What is this reality thing you speak of? Get it out of here, which is great. It's great to dive deep. I 100% encourage it. But for me, I do sometimes have to pull myself away from whatever project I'm all in on or whatever thing that I'm learning at that time and say, all right, it's time for you to do the thing that you've been putting off. In my case, uh, experimenting with different kinds of um, animation prototyping frameworks. Mm. I'm always looking at these, like we've got these new tools coming out like Spirit.js and uh, and Haiku, which allow people to prototype web animations in the browser. You know, like a little timeline, you can scrub things and arrange them. And I'm always like, oh man, I got to make some time to see how that works. Yeah, those sound amazing. Yeah, they are. Um, but first, let me go back to my project. If you don't make time, you'll never have the time. So I've started putting an actual event on my calendar, like once a week, spend it just like one or two hours to go try this thing, go experiment with that thing. And I give myself permission to never look at that thing again. Like that way you don't feel like you're committing to go all in on something that you might not actually need in your day to day. Mm. But if you spend a little time with it, if something comes up in your day to day life where that thing that you spend a little time with could solve that problem, you have the experience to speak from that position. Mm. Or you could just do fun things. If you're spending all of your day doing incredibly important, serious things, you, this could be a way to keep you from burning out and remind you to spend time on the things that you you do get energy from and you do get excited about. Now, Rachel, which specific aspects about programming has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? I would say uh, studying algorithms. Uh, I'm just so crazy about it lately. I found this great book called Grokking Algorithms, mm. which is almost like a cartoon book that walks you through some very common computer science principles, which if you come into front-end development without a computer science background, you will be lacking. Uh, there are data structures like lists and sets that if you've only ever used JavaScript, you'll not be, not be very familiar with. Mm. But this book does a great job of introducing you to all those different ideas and concepts like memory management management and, you know, uh, big O notation. These are ways that in JavaScript, we tend to not think about Mm. like the number of times our for loop will run, whether it's running, you know, once for the entire array or it's running many times for each member of the array. So like I said, that's had a huge impact on how I think about the things that I write now. And especially in graphics programming, uh, these concepts can be 
they can be a make or breaker. Mm. They, they, they really can have a, the, be the difference between 60 frames per second and 32 frames per second. Mm. How long have you been studying algorithms now and where do you feel you are in terms of your proficiency? Oh, I'm a baby. <laughs> I've just been studying, I think, since November and it's been great. Like I've been, I've been working through different, different algorithms and uh, different, um, different problem sets. And even though often the answers are written in Python, I will be like, no, no, I'm going to write them in JavaScript, which creates all kinds of problems in and of itself. But it does sort of bring around like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that in ES6, JavaScript got sets. It doesn't have any object literal notation. Um, so, you know, you always have to invoke it with the new keyword. But, but JavaScript has sets now. Hooray! And I... Like that's a feature I would not have noticed. Yeah, and getting unique values out of an array now is mind blowing. No more reducing, no more magic. Just throw it in a set, and there you go. I know. I I just never realized that that was missing, and also I can see how ridiculously easy this can make people some people's lives. Yeah, I can't wait. I I don't really know anything about sets. I know even less about map, but I've seen other people. Uh, extremely excited about what it can do. And um, I don't know, the fact that I can get a unique list of values out of an array, that is mind-blowing to me without having to do all the other work that you have to do before. That's uh, it's, a, it's a simple little pleasure that I, I delight immensely in. You know, as speaking from you know, the comp and rendering side of things, because animation is all about request animation frame, canvas, SVG. Like these are very specific subsets of the the great lexicon of things that we can do with the web. Like we're not even talking about WebGL or, or even WebAssembly in here, but it's easy to kind of, when you're specializing in one particular kind of programming, one particular um, subset of concepts, you can lose track of all kinds of things. Like I'm very familiar with request animation mm. frame. But when it comes to things like node modules, I'm an, I'm an absolute noob. And I feel like it's it's kind of amazing. The, the whole world of programming is vast and wide, but even just your little end of programming is also still fast and wide. There are things like map mm. that have been out in JavaScript since forever. And I have very little experience working with them because I spend all my time over in request animation frame land. Mm. Since I learned about map and reduce and filter and those things, I haven't touched a for loop in in a very long time. And I think until I get into some extremely intensive graphic processing uh, sort of work, I don't think I'm going to go back there for a long time because um, yeah, it's just, it's just such a different way of thinking, I suppose. It is. Um, for me, it's it's got to be my my poison's got to be recursion. Once I figured out the trick to thinking about how to write recursive functions, I, I can't stop seeing them everywhere. Uh, yeah. And I know it's not as efficient as a for loop, but it's so pretty. It's so nice. It's it's almost like putting you know sprinkling magic dust across something. And uh, I think I may have a problem with recursion. <laughs> <laughs> and they're a ton of fun. And with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. <laughs> Rachel, I'm about to throw some quickfire questions your way. Let's do this. What is the best advice about programming that you have ever received? Honestly, uh, the best advice I ever got was just sit down, uh, sit down with different languages that aren't the one that you know. That the best way to get better at programming is to experiment with things you don't know because it will make you question the things that you do. For instance, working with Python will make you say, "Hey, does JavaScript have sets?" Um, and and make you appreciate things 
well, you know, like working with Ruby actually helped me understand JavaScript better. I was struggling with learning JavaScript for years mm. because all the books at that time were written by programmers uh, for programmers who knew something mm. else as their first language before they they met JavaScript and it used vocabulary. You know, I'd sit down and be like, this is a class and JavaScript doesn't have them. And I'd be like, wait a minute, what are classes? And Reading, uh, reading about Ruby and playing with Ruby helped me appreciate the differences between JavaScript and other languages. So I think it, the best advice I ever got was actually from one of my Ruby mentors. He said, it's great to play around with different languages so that you can better appreciate the different kinds of programming in all of them. Which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code? Tidiness, always being neat. Um, personally, getting a second opinion. Uh, the best way to get better is to have someone who's better than you pick over and critique mm. your work. And I think it's a it's a great personal quality to build this acceptance of criticism. I I remember back when I used to make comics, I would always you know show someone else the artwork, get their feedback, go back, do it better. And if you don't develop that sort of, you know, yes, I, yes, drill sergeant, please tell me more mm. attitude early. You can end up building really ropey, ugly code and, and like, you know, never learning map functions. And mm. so you're over relying on for loops. So just having that second pair of eyes uh, and deferring to other people's judgment, it's, I think, I think it's one of the best things that you can do. It will really accelerate. Uh, how you how you work and the best practices you put into into use. Speaking about tidiness, how have you have you given Prettier JS a bash? I haven't yet. Have you? I can't work without it. In fact, any other language that doesn't auto format my code for me drives me insane now. <laughs> it's actually it's ruined. Uh, yeah, it's ruined me. Prettier JS has ruined me. My code looks great, and I don't have to do it. Oh my gosh! So I'm I'm looking at it right now. It's an opinionated code formatter. Wow. It is going to blow your mind. Oh, but I like leaving my things all over all over the house. <laughs> it's it'll it'll destroy you. Give it I, I don't know. Save save a file once and see how you feel about it and um yeah, you'll you'll be a changed person. I can guarantee that. You'll you'll never look at formatting code <laughs> like you did before. You know, I love that it comes with these little badges that you can put on <laughs> uh, that you can show the world that you're using yeah. prettier. That is so, what is it, 1998 <laughs> or something? So where does this fit in your workflow? Uh, do you like integrate it with Webpack? Is it something that can stand alone? How do you use it? It's just plugged in with your IDE. I use Vim. Um, I've got it hooked up to when I save. And whenever I hit save, my files reformat it for me. And I write the ugliest looking JavaScript and the computer does all the work for me. I mean, not to say that it doesn't, I don't have the responsibility in taking care of what I'm actually writing, but in terms of semicolons and brackets and positioning, uh, that's not an argument I need to have with anyone ever again because JS tells me what I want or tells me what I should like, I suppose. Well, I'm really excited because it turns out that there is an extension for it for my favorite code editor, VS Code. It's uh, They've got a plugin mm-hmm. for Prettier. I'm installing it right now. <laughs> You're going to love it. All right, Rachel, if you could recommend one book on programming to join Animation at Work, what would it be and why? I would say if you want to see, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that Sarah Drasner's book on SVG from O'Reilly 
has got to be a great companion piece because if you're working with animations, it's likely that you're working with SVG as well. And her book is the begin all and end all of SVG. It's, it's the go-to reference. It covers SVG animations perfectly. Another great one you might consider would be a, a coworker of mine, Kurupa Chinanthambi. He wrote the CSS animations book for O'Reilly. It is also an excellent book. All of them go great together. You get kind of the how, uh, and you get the how and the why. My book is like very short. It's about the why of animation, where you can use it, mm-hmm. where it's best for user experience, um, and the different considerations you have to take into uh, you have to take into account when you're trying to weight it against all your other obligations. Um, mm. But these books are definitely the how of the implementation for those animations and how you would uh, how you would set up workflows around them. Now, Rachel, who in the front-end world is doing work that's really inspiring? A lot of people. Um, <laughs> in addition to, to great folks like Sarah Trasner, I've got to give a shout out to the folks on the Slack channel at Animation at Work, uh, slack.animationatwork.com. Uh, the community is doing some incredible things. Um, Natalie Cooper, I'm a big fan of her work. She founded a creative coding community on her own, and she's just done some fabulous things with SVG. And it's just inspiring to see what they're doing. For me, I am really excited about the different libraries that this community is coming out with, including Just Animate, which is a, it's an animations library that actually uses the web animations API under the hood. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled by the amount of community cooperation in building these libraries. And it's just exciting and wonderful. Now, Rachel, imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever having written code. With your knowledge of tools, books, and courses available today, how would you go about learning to program from scratch? I am hesitant to say start with JavaScript because starting with JavaScript will get you into a very uh, interesting headspace very quickly. Uh, But if you were to start with JavaScript, I would say start with Kyle Simpson's You Don't Know JavaScript book series Mm. um, or with uh, the the JavaScript Enlightenment and DOM Enlightenment books, which I found very useful when I was getting started with JavaScript because they are written for absolute beginners. But if I'm honest, the best place to start uh, with programming is usually for for brand new self-studying babies uh, like myself back in the day. Uh, the best place to start is with books that were written for like kids. Weirdly enough, books that are written with kids make a lot, make way fewer assumptions about what you can and cannot mm-hmm. do. Uh, for me, that book for me was, I think it was Learn to Program. It was about Ruby. It came out from pr- Pragmatic Programmers. And I loved that book so much. Uh, it, it, was, it was short, it was fast, it had lots of fun exercises. And it was a good place to get your feet into the water and just get started and introduce you to some, some basic concepts. But I'm a person who likes to learn by reading. So if you learn through videos, there is The Coding Train. I love The Coding Train. It's a channel on YouTube. It's bright. It's colorful. Uh, it introduces people to all kinds of different visual coding challenges. Mm. And I got to say, uh, coming from the, the comp and rendering side of things, uh, those sorts of things like how do you write vectors? Uh, how do you handle angles angles and angular motion? Those sorts of things tend to be missing from the typical introductions to programming that we find in uh, web development and engineering communities. Mm. But they're also really exciting, especially if you enjoyed geometry in school. So this would be a very good place to start. And I think visual coding is becoming much more of a thing lately. I know Brett Victor's got uh, what is it called? Dynamic Land, and there's Luna, and all these 
sort of things coming out to to bring programming out into the world and make it more accessible without you having to write code and you can interact with things in a in a more tangible way, I suppose. The it sounds like coding train is very much in that light in or in that vein of thought as well. Exactly. And this is that sort of creative coding where design meets programming uh, intersection that I was talking about earlier that I find so exciting. Um, my hope is that we will always be able to have a space in, in our communities for people who are doing this kind of work because the lots of people get excited visually. And Rachel, let's wrap up with the best way to connect with you. If people would like to get in touch with me, they can always find me on Twitter at Rachel Neighbors. All right, awesome. And to everyone out there, you've been hanging with Rachel Neighbors and Larry Buerta. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been chatting about today. And of course, head over to rachelneighbors.com and get your copy of Animation at Work and learn when and where to use motion to create a better better experience for your users. And Rachel, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great code.